Hey, this is Kyle. And I'm David. And this is the Tech Mill Podcast. Kyle with the Techno Podcast, and we are here with Eric Swain, who his current title on LinkedIn is Senior Director of Fan Engagement at Funimation. Um, he does a lot of other things, though, so uh, he's going to be talking to us about whatever he does today. Uh, Eric, Eric, how's it going today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Super. Um, we've had a little audio issues today. It's okay. We're going to get through it. It's, it's going to be good. fine. It's fine. It's going to be great. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so let's see. David. You want to kick off with some questions? Uh, you are putting me on the spot here. So, well, first of all, I hope you're not too nervous being on the inaugural episode of the Tech Mill podcast because this this is, I, this is kind of an honor. Other it's okay. than it, it's in, like flying an experimental plane, this will work fine. Right? It's yeah. Great. Yeah, I think so. It'll be great. Um, the only thing better would be in 50 years when we have our last podcast, and you could be on that. And maybe maybe that'll That'd happen. Be quite the run, though. That'd yeah, be good. yeah. I, I, th- I think we can do it. We we have that longevity. So uh, I, I guess first of all, let's kick it off with what brought you to Denton. Uh, when my wife and I were looking for a house after running through a number of duplexes and other plexes, um, we wanted to find an area in my hometown of Carrollton. I grew up in Carrollton, actually. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's okay. Sea towns all right. And actually, you know, we were very economically motivated. As you go further north, you get more for what you, uh, what you for your money. Um, and little did we know we'd find an area that was just going to be perfect for our family um, and have so much more to offer than just a pl- quiet, boring suburb. Um, and it just, I think we didn't f- come here for Denton, but ended up falling in love with Denton along the way. Right, and that's a nice uh, coincidence or serendipitous. Actually, I don't yeah. know the right term for that, but it's a nice thing when That'll that works work, out. Yeah. One of those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I know your background is indie marketing data space yeah (laughs) but i know that's not where you started so where how did you get involved in technology so um that was an obsession even before college uh my dad's an electrical engineer so i couldn't avoid it in my life um my first computer was a ti 94 uh for a excuse me um and i played hunt the wumpus (laughs) religiously um but I think uh, what, I, what really got at me into it was starting uh, in college, I was a front-end developer. What, what they call now a front-end developer, I knew nothing of the sort. I just made code and notebook or text and tried to keep my indents straight. Um, so, I mean, when I started, I really started with like Flash back when before it was bought by Adobe and it was all Macromedia stuff um, and like did a couple of websites in college with my roommate. Um, and, and, you know, I always was interested in um, technology that because it was able to do so much uh, so quickly and it was changing so fast, and it was really feeding my ADD and being really interesting. Um, and so a few different, few different wanderings, I ended up uh, at uh, an agency, an Omnicom-owned agency called RAP, 
Um, and there um, I started as a project manager, just generically, digitally project manager. And it turned out that I asked way too many questions, so they stuck me in the strategy group. <laughs> and um, at around that time um, was when social media really started getting measured. So Twitter started in 2006, 2007. Um, a little thing called Radian 6 started in 2010. And Radian 6 is might, might be the most well-known social media analytics software. Um, and that's when people really started to care about social media because they actually could measure it. And sure, blogs had been running for a long time and email much, much longer than that. Um, but now there were more things than just Technorati rankings, if you remember those things. Um, so that started uh, my love affair with social analytics. Um, and so I went on in a 10-year career of uh, working on and leading strategy and analytics teams at digital agencies, traditional agencies, all sorts of kinds. Um, and that, you know, from there, I, I think I really got the chance to, to combine some of the things I love with you know, telling stories and measuring data and analyzing uh, the the anthropology of how people use this thing called social media. Um, and that's all like kind of fed into my marketing career as well. So do you miss writing code? <laughs> I do actually. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I, I when I was writing code, I, it was at HTML4 and CSS had just started. Right, the bad uh, old days. Yeah, the good old days, yeah. Um, and that was when DHTML was like awesome. Uh, and you did all this client-side um, JavaScript to, you know, to do amazing things like hide areas of forms. Oh, my God, I didn't know you could do that. Um, and I loved, I, I liken JavaScript to like driving a stick shift. Like it will either work or it will not. That is it. <laughs> And you, you, you either will get the thing you wanted or you'll get nothing. Uh, and if you can learn to drive JavaScript, you can probably learn to drive pretty much anything. Um, and that was, you know, a painfully joyful time of code is, is learning how to do some JavaScript in those days. Yeah, and that, that's definitely the language I recommend to people if, they're, if they ask, what should I learn to program yeah. JavaScript? JavaScript, it's, it, yeah. It's easy to get started, easy to mess up as yes you said. But, <laughs> but it's a learning experience every right time. so we were talking about this before you got here uh we're, we're i was complaining about my macbook and what devel development environments we use and so we thought we should ask anyone who had previously developed or currently does uh -huh. develop what was your first programming environment oh my god uh mine was uh uh dreamweaver 1.0 um <laughs> actually knocked me on my butt a bit because um, before then, I'd been using uh, something from, I think, Coffee Cup software way back in the day. It was like text editors, you know, glorified text editors. Um, and then you see Dreamweaver and you're like, oh, wow, this is basically PowerPoint. Like, that's all. Anyone that runs PowerPoint can run one of these things. Um, and I know I'd, I'd beaten my head against building two-column and three-column layouts and the beginning of CSS and those float left and all and they had in Dreamweaver those templates written by like the best, the, the writers of W3C, like the standards writers made their templates. I'm like, well, not going to do better than that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I was like, ah, I'm not going to need to stay in this code thing much longer. Um, or you know, other things fascinated me beyond that. <laughs> so I know when, when I first met you, you were doing – 
Uh, you were working for a startup, yep. a mutual mind, and you were also part of uh, Digital Dallas yeah. at the time. So, so what? I guess let's start with Digital Dallas and what that is, and yeah. then also how you got started at Mutual Mind. So, I think I have to go back a little bit because um, early on, I got interested in this thing called the Social Media Club of Dallas, and this is around the time a guy named Mike Merrill had really rebooted it. Um, and at that time, the entire social media club could fit in a conference room. It wasn't that big. Um, so I started participating in it, started, uh, got the chance to speak a couple times. Um, and that really got me connected to some of the OG gangsters of social media in the Dallas space. Um, and then that was an, a series of connections that led me to Digital Dallas. Um, Digital Dallas number three, um, I actually begged to get in uh, via one of my connections and introduced me to Mike Pratt, who led it at the time and still leads Digital Dallas. Um, and I, I was just a, a hanger on at that point, just really enjoyed going to some of the meetups because it was a, a combination of startup and brand and tech that I hadn't seen before. It wasn't just social media people talking to social media people. It was you know, a real good mix of people. Um, and at one point, Mike Pratt was trying to find uh, a place to hold the next Digital Dallas um, that next month. And he was like, his place fell through on him. And he's like, he just started emailing me because we'd built a relationship and was saying, you know, I'm screwed. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And we don't have a place. So I said, okay, well, let me reach out to someone I was on a panel with at DeFuima, the DFWI Internet Marketing Association. Um, and at that point, it was a company called BlockDot. Um, BlockDot was started by the guys that made Elf Bowling. If you ever remember Elf Bowling, that shareware thing, one of those guys, um, st uh, well, a couple of them started BlockDot, which was a company that built early online games um, and turned into this mobile development house. Uh, they actually made one of American Airlines' first mobile apps. Um, so we asked if we could use, I asked if they could, we could use their space and they said, yes. So that, uh, got us a digital Dallas for that month, but that also got me on the board because Mike said, I'm the only one, you're number two. And so, uh, it was me and Mike and Scott Ellis and we were the first three on the board. Um, and I stayed with digital Dallas until even recently until Funimation, um, because I loved the chance to get more people to collide with each other, um, and I knew that one of the things that was gonna make this scene interesting was the more we could get people bumping into each other and, and you know sharing ideas and meeting each other and building connections, um, that was gonna generate the seeds for startups and ideas and companies. Right, and that's, that's very similar to what Tech Mill is doing here in Denton. Exactly, very, yeah. Very similar goal that we have. Yeah, it's one of those things you can't put a strong mindset on it at front you can't say i'm going to cause a startup to happen but you know the more you just get people bumping into each other and and, and recognizing each other then that moment when you need someone and really reach out for someone you know who that is right uh, and you've got a mental rolodex kind of built up of people you're comfortable with yeah i think that's how we got started it is yeah <laughs> yeah well. uh yeah so actually um i guess i guess well should we talk about mutual mind first we can, sure. Yeah, let's do that first. All right, so how did you get involved? What is Mutual Mind, and how did you start over there? Sure. Um, so I was getting the agency life um, and being thoroughly burnt out by it. But um, at that time, uh, a friend of mine named Tony Edwards um, was uh, starting with his new company called Mutual Mind. 
Um, and they had finally, because they'd finally got enough money to hire a sales guy, and he was their sales guy. Um, and I, you know, told him, hey, I think I'm going to be on the market here soon because I'm looking for something new. Um, and this was something really unique because I'd done a lot of social analytics work um, and already knew all the other companies that do that software. So um, it was a really neat idea to go work with them and build something that I always wanted um, at the same time. Um, it was really my first foray into not full-time work because I was also working with BuzzShift, which is an agency, uh, a marketing agency based out of downtown. Um, and it was like really freeing to start, you know, not doing the nine to five specifically, even though it was becoming like nine to nine and craziness. Um, it was really interesting to start working with multiple companies and kind of flexing my arms in terms of consulting and things like that. Um, so I worked with uh, Mutual Mind um, as their head of product and marketing. So designing almost literally the product I wanted to have. Um, and, you know, we developed a really clear business case around um, integrating with um, these high IT programs that had no clue what, soft, what internet social was. Uh, so we did a lot of work with IBM uh, because a lot of their software was not um, connected to social media at the time. Uh, and, you know, it's all on-premise, not even in the cloud type of installations. Um, so we built some of the glue between that and social. And part of that was a lot of work around command centers. Uh, because those are all the rage. Uh, and they, uh, I think they've tailed off a little bit, but I think they're still somewhat. Uh, so we built these giant displays of social data that would update in real time and stuff like that. Um, and that was, uh, you know, really a fun chance to um, learn how to be a product manager um, after being a user. Um, and then also taking a startup from practically zero all the way up to um, I left right before they got acquired. So uh, it was pretty neat to uh, to follow that journey through a lot of ups and downs and further downs and <laughs> some ups. Uh, yeah, so so in that time when you were doing Mutual Mind, yeah. um, I one day, my wife was like, don't do anything. Just don't do anything. <laughs> Sit at home, do nothing. And I said, okay. And then I got on my computer and I said, I'm going to put this whiteboard sticker on my laptop and then I'm going to post it to the Facebook. And then Michael Sitterzeski, uh, if you're familiar with the Dallas Star community, um, you will know him. And he goes, hey, you should sell these today. <laughs> I said, okay. And I sat at home uh, at 8.30 on a Sunday morning and I just started coding, building a website. And I was like, you know what? I'm not very good at this content stuff. I need a content person. Who do I know who's a content person? <laughs> hey, I know this guy, Eric. I should probably ask Eric. Eric, you want to help me with my content? <laughs> and the funny thing is um, that was a Sunday, uh, and um, I, I, my wife was sick that day, so I was, like, desperate for anything to keep me off my kids. Um, and so you're like, I need the copy. I'm like, sure. And I basically wrote all the copy, and I think – two, three hours, if that, um, you know, and that's what started that project off. But uh, really for, for my side of it, it was an extension of, of, of trying out non-traditional job things 
um, and seeing what would work. You know, I'd always thought that a job had to be with one company at one time um, and not thinking of myself as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually came at an interesting time because it was a real like extension of that same idea for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that day we started uh, draw attention and we did that for mm-hmm. still doing it technically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of rolled that ball. And I think that uh, with your marketing connections and the, the content we had published, we had a lot of actual attention. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So like we had a ton of press. Um, yeah. And, and I think that our main goal was to, uh, show people that um, like the whole business was built on thirteen dollars, which was the cost of a domain name. Everything else was free. Like yep. it was it was all these free tools, free hosting, free whatever. Um, and we just started selling stickers. And I think that was one of the big things we wanted to make notice is that hey, you don't need a lot of capital mm-hmm. up front to make a company. I, you just need to be really smart with the resources you have. And I and I hope that our that story that we've kind of made. Uh, helps people along the way who might have similar ambitions as well. Yeah. So I think the the cool thing about that story was how little money can you spend to start a business? Uh, I think the next question about scaling the business is even harder. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's the um, the, <laughs> the ability, and it's so Denton, right? It, it Where we talk about bootstrapping so much at Denton um, because like no one takes Denton quote unquote seriously. Um, the ability to kick off a business with little or nothing is exactly what Denton is all about right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you worked in agency for a long time. You hated it. You worked for a startup. <laughs> Maybe you hated it. Sometimes really I liked sure. it. <laughs> Sometimes you liked it. And then you got a job at Funimation. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting turn because it's told it doesn't really seem tech but it seems but it's actually fairly techy. Yeah. Right. So how did how did you get involved in Funimation? So um, and do you want to describe Funimation for anyone I who doesn't probably do that know a little what Funimation bit. is? Uh, Funimation is uh, North America's largest importer and distributor of anime. Anime being defined as animated content coming from Japan. Um, the most famous of which being Dragon Ball Z. Uh, Funimation was founded by Gen Fukunaga, who brought Dragon Ball Z to the U.S. and created a du- the first dub of Dragon Ball Z um, and, and kicked off many a 80s kids' lifetime to, to, to come. Uh, Funimation now is a whole lot more than just VHS tapes. Um, it's about like really creating cultural movements from this content, from these shows. Um, it, it's no different than an HBO or a Showtime or an FX, any of these uh, channels that are they're, they're programming and, and creating uh, and bringing in IP from studios to distribute uh, and promote. And they've come a long way, right? When when did they start? Yeah, we, the, the company started in 94. Right. So, so VHS tapes to really DVDs to yeah. now online, a lot of online stuff. And that's the the tech component of it is we have our own streaming service called Funimation now it's literally Netflix for anime um, although at the same time if you see anime uh, from us on Netflix we're the ones that make those deals we're the ones that make the deals with Hulu we make the deals for uh, Cartoon Network Toonami so uh, it's interesting um, taking entertainment and, and looking at the asset of entertainment and all the ways that technology can enable you to distribute that asset 
but also measure uh, how successful you are in, in, in getting people to fall in love with that show. Um, we can measure subscription. We can measure paid media performance. We can measure social media, which comes into my play a lot. Um, but we can understand digitally how all that's working at once. Um, and it, it's, it's really so much faster and leaner than, um, you know, we ship a pallet of VHS tapes in hopes they sell out at Walmart. Yeah, so you got, so you got involved in Funimation. So actually earlier this year, um, I think it was earlier this year, at South by this year, mm-hmm. you guys had uh, a big thing yeah. you were doing there. So what was that big thing you guys were doing? So we that was part of the launch of Funimation Now, which is that streaming platform we have. Um, we were unveiling a couple of new apps uh, on uh, iOS and Android, I think at the time. Um, <laughs> feels like not that long ago and so long ago all at once. Um, we've been as Funimation on this journey of rebooting our streaming service um, ever since literally beginning of January in CES when we announced it. Um, so in March, we launched all new mobile apps. Uh, we're about to launch an all new site. Um, we're about to launch all new console apps. So PlayStation, Xbox, Roku, et cetera. Um, and really it's getting back to that, te- te- that technology idea around entertainment um, because People do not care what screen they are using to watch shows. They just want to be able to watch your shows in the cleanest, easiest way on whatever pixel they choose to use. Um, That is such a simple customer proposition, but it's a really, really freaking hard technology problem because you have to look at every single device and make that experience seamless across every device. David knows how hard this would be. Um, (laughs) And video is not an easy asset to deal with in all these different devices because they all deal with video differently, uh, some better than others. So um, that's been the the challenge of uh, 2016 is is how do we take that ecosystem and completely rebuild and reboot it and promote the hell out of it to make sure everybody um, comes and watches everything they can. While the big guys make it look easy, YouTube makes it look easy and you don't, uh, the average consumer expects it now rather than knowing the feats that are going on in the background. I have a vast appreciation now for Hulu and Netflix um, and their budgets are kind of big, but um, (laughs) the work they do to understand what it takes to bring someone in, what it takes to keep someone from churning, how you know when someone's about to leave the service and how you interrupt that process. um, All of that is data. All of that's analytics. It's not um, the right side of the brain anymore. there are creative moments that we need as well, but um, that's what fascinates me and digs into my data brain is, is how you can analyze um, customers or fans coming into the service and how they use it and what they love about it and then how you keep them from leaving. So your title is Director of Fan Engagement. Mm. So when you're doing fan engagement, what all does that entail? I know it's a really pompous title, <laughs> but um, fan engagement is designed as any place where fans meet brands at Funimation. So that's social media, paid media, PR, email, and conventions or events. Um, the cool thing about that is, is it's looking at all the, if I can use some marketing terms, paid, earned, and owned channels that we have. Um, See, so yeah, I know marketing. Um, and then also, um, it, it's trying to look at them holistically, all together. 
when they're all very, very different. Conventions are wildly different than emails, wildly different than PR. Um, so that's another data-driven challenge that we have is finding numbers that make sense for each channel separately. And how do you talk about them all together at once? How do you connect what they're doing to each other? We know that people are interacting with all these different channels and it's not any one thing that causes someone to do one action. It's much messier than that. But how do we pick that apart and make it better with data? Yeah. Um, so I think I think the biggest mind blowing thing that I had about Funimation was that I I've I watched anime. I love Dragon Ball Z. I love mm-hmm. Full Metal Alchemist, and I know. The, <laughs> Funimation, right? Yeah. Every single time. You should be watching. And the biggest thing was that I had no idea it was located in Flower Mound, Texas. Right. Right. And this is not just like an office. It's an entire mm-hmm. studio down in Flower Mound. Mm-hmm. So what like, what does that look like? I mean, do you just have voice actors walking around all day? Um, and <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, it is a... We have like two buildings in this giant warehouse district. Uh, and literally, if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't find it. Um, and we, Funimation is like the most vertically integrated entertainment studio you'll ever find because everything has to be done in-house because everything has to be approved by our licensors, by the Japanese studios we work with. So uh, where I sit, I can get up and walk a few feet over and go over to the creative department. That's where they're designing the packaging for the collector's editions or all the other editions. They're designing every single web ad we do, every single paper, uh, poster we create, all of our booths that we put up. Uh, all that's designed in there uh, and the site uh, that we design, all the digital assets. Then I keep walking and I can go to the QA department where they're doing all the subtitling of content and they're checking the audio mix, in some cases building entirely new audio mixes or if they're doing original music. Um, and then I can walk even further and go to the dub studios where the voice actors are coming in out and dubbing. And those studios are running 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Monday through Saturday. And that department cranks out over 160 episodes per week of dubbed content. Um, and then keep going and I can go to uh, the team that, le- that manages all the voice actors because we have over 400 voice actors we work with. Um, and so all of them are independent contractors of Funimation and they all have schedules and demands and things that make them human. And so it's wrangling all of them. So um, it's really amazing that um, all of that is in one building, including our founder, again, who still is our CEO. Um, so it's, it's kind of you can see the entire life cycle in the company in one building. Mm, it's amazing. So favorite social media platform? Oh, you know, I, I am such an early adopter and easily fizzling out. Um, I, I want to love medium more. I want to write more for medium. I've been an on and off blogger for a very long time, ever since live journal. Um, but it's one of those things I just itinerant. I never really stick on it. Uh, but what I love about medium is the first time I sat down to blog using that platform, it was the cleanest experience I've ever had in my life. I mean, it was just slick and easy and the restriction of decisions actually made my writing better and I love it. Um, now, I haven't written on Medium in a long time. I need to get back on it, but I love reading on Medium because the content there is so distilled and it's, it's not um, a lot of cruft weighing down. 
Um, but I think the platform I'm most regularly using is probably Twitter. Um, I got on Twitter really pretty early uh, because a friend of mine was at South by Southwest in 2006 and said, you need to be on Twitter. Uh, and, or, 2007, sorry, they were 2007. Um, and so Twitter has been able to connect me to other people probably more than most platforms because it's one of the few platforms where you can reach out to someone randomly and you don't have to um, have them accept your friend status or whatever. You can just ping them and you might get lucky. Um, and that's caused a lot of connections for me. So that's probably my favorite platform, uh, or at least the one based on my behavior that's my favorite. <laughs> and that was back when it was still text messaging, right? When, yeah, when yeah. you started up then, if it was um, that long ago. Cause... When I had my Razor phone, I think, I was using text messages uh, to send things into Twitter. I thought that was the coolest thing, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, at some point I got a BlackBerry Curve, the original one, which had the keyboard that everybody fell in love with, right? And I was doing Twitter chats from the BlackBerry Curve, and that's not a good idea. But, you know, it's it was the, the volume of conversation you could get into with those early Twitter chats. is just insane, just crazy amounts. Um, and, and, you know, I think even that's a little bit blown over now, but... Um, it's amazing um, what Twitter has become and then the challenge they have left to, to figure out who the heck they are going forward. Right, uh, and how they survive in this world yeah. where Facebook is dominating many, many places right now. You know, at Funimation, we work with all the social networks and we have a pretty good relationship with all of them personally because when we talk about anime content, that opens doors a whole lot of places. Uh, so Twitter, of course, loves talking about uh, our content because it's so rich and vibrant and uh, engages people so much. Um, but at the same time, we can't put full episodes of anime on, on Twitter because their video platform is only 10 minutes max. Um, and their geo-blocking isn't always what we want. And uh, their rev share program is only just now getting off the ground. So they, they've got a lot of work to do to get to where some of the other platforms are already. Right. Okay, so my other question and, and you can feel free to punt on this one if it's, <laughs> if it's too in the weeds. So as a software developer myself, mm. I look at apps differently than the average person does because I build them. And so I notice little things that other people wouldn't do. So since you deal with and it doesn't sound like your day to day is social media because mm. you deal with the data side on it. But what do you see in social media that the average person doesn't see? Um, I, I've always loved what I call the anthropology of social media in analyzing how humans interact with the technology and the biases that we bring to the technology and the technology brings to us. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, when I was at one of my agency uh, gigs, we were doing some analysis on fibromyalgia uh, and looking at how uh, people were talking about fibromyalgia. Because we wanted to explain to this pharma company like what was going on with your drug and what people were saying about your drug. Um, and I found some keywords that in the data set were just wildly out of whack. Like just all these keywords were clustered together and so constantly showing up together. And it's like, it didn't make sense. Well, it turned out it was one of those, um, one of those random statements you see on Facebook, like I am suffering from the hidden disease. Not to make light of that at all. It's a really terrible thing, but it's one of those statements that you see a long paragraph and at the end it said copy and paste if you agree with this 
And hundreds of people were doing that all at once. So nobody was saying anything original. They were all just copying and pasting all the things at the same time. And I was like, why do people do that? Like, and, and try to understand like why people use social media in that way. And then what does that mean for a, a marketer? Like, do I want to take advantage of it? Do I need to stop people from doing that to hurt my brand? Like, understanding that anthropology of it um, through the data uh, available really interests me. And so that when I see social media, um, if I'm looking at the matrix code, right? <laughs> then right. What I'm seeing is um, these, these constant um, actions that you see over and over again uh, by people um, using that platform and trying to understand like what that means. Um, so to me, Pokemon Go, for example, is very, very similar to Foursquare because they're both just location-based platforms and technically they're both social platforms. So all they are uh, are just different ways to get people to go to certain places to do certain things. So as a marketer, I'm saying, well, heck, if I've got a Pokestop anywhere near my booth at Funimation, I'll pay for lures all day long because I want people to show up. Um, way back in the day, even before Foursquare, there was Goala. Goala did the same exact thing. You just did it with badges instead of Pokemon lures. Um, so I see a lot of these same behaviors cycling through over and over again. Right. And when you were talking about the, the Facebook thing, I was thinking about email forwards that yep. used to happen back when people used email that way. Maybe they still do in corporations. Luckily, mm -hmm. I don't I don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> but it is interesting. You get that, that overview perspective of what a lot of people are doing yeah. rather than just the what am I doing on this thing. That's, yeah. that's very interesting. Okay. So I have one last question. What advice would you give to someone in your field, whatever that may be. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not sure what I do either. Well, um, what, what advice would you give? I like to tell um, my, uh, well, actually when I interviewed at Funimation, they asked me what my management style was. And I said, it's half camp counselor and half corporate therapist. <laughs> and I think that's um, kind of what I do most of the day. Um, if we're talking about digital marketing, a lot of people run first to being good at the platform, like knowing how to tweet or how to Instagram or how to Snapchat. Um, and we use that as a proxy for being good at digital marketing. But actually, you need to be first be good at marketing. Um, and it, it's the business side of it. You have to really get an idea of how someone's business works um, and understand how they make money and the things they want people to do and the things they don't want people to do. And then be able to connect that to what you know about these crazy platforms from Snapchat to Anchor to Kick to anything. Um, and how you can tap into these behaviors that people already have on those platforms um, to get them and motivate them to do the thing that you want them to do ultimately. Um, so it's not about being an expert at social media. I think that's kind of overblown now, but um, it, it's more about you have to be uh, really the smartest business person in the room first because your job is to connect all that business to this wacky world of digital marketing um, and then be able to reach in your toolbox and pick out the right things at the right time to get the results that you want to get. <laughs> right, <laughs> because 100 likes from someone who's not going to help your business is our wasted likes. Yep. Pretty I remember much. so early we had questions and comments about the value of a like. 
Um, Have you figured that out yet? Because I, I still right? I still want to know. I remember I really don't. clearly. Um, I think it was 2013. Uh, I was watching. I was at a conference, uh, and this guy from a and a really well known insurance brand gets up and says. Here's how we measure the value of a like. I'm like, oh, good. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> and he opens up this spreadsheet and he says, I'm sorry, guys, it's 50 megs, so it's going to take a while. I was like, geez, that's a huge spreadsheet. <laughs> um, and it had like 30 tabs and whatever. But the end tab was like, all right, you type in here what your likes are and you go to tab 50, it tells you how much they're worth. I'm like, Really? <laughs> That's how you win? Because no one's going to care about that whatsoever. Um, it, it, just because your spreadsheet took a long time to open does not mean it's right. <laughs> and you should have opened it before you got up on stage, really. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, and it's funny. That's the same thing we saw with email. People trying to figure out the value of an email address. And the same thing we saw earlier about the physical address. And it, These same things show up in marketing over and over again. Um, but... It's so funny that uh, we we constantly still think that just because it's a number we can see and touch and measure, that means it's valuable. Not necessarily right. true. And that's the flip side of data. That's the right. bad side of data is, is this data useful? Yeah. Kyle, is your mic on this time? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's this little red blinking light. And it turns <laughs> out that if you press it more than once, it does not... I don't know. Amazing. I know. It's amazing. Learning new things all the time. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I mean, do you have anything else for Eric? I know. It's a late night. My list is complete. Your list is complete. Excellent. Eric, Eric, uh, how can people get in touch with you if they ever want to reach out for any reason whatsoever? Sure. Um, I'm pretty much eSwain everywhere you want to be. So eSwain at Facebook, on Twitter, eSwain at gmail.com, eSwain on Instagram if you want to get there or that way I don't know how um, but yeah drop me a line um, and if you want to know more about Funimation uh, you can go to Funimation.com um, or you can visit our parent company site that's where the job postings are uh, which is group 1200 group 1200.com and do we have show notes should we We, I mean, you're, you've been taking them right we should I, I haven't I'm just saying <laughs> in case people can't spell Swain we should probably uh, have show notes also so do we have a place to put show notes what, we do okay uh, then we'll have show notes I will take notes in post production because I'm going to be listening to this forever <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, I think there's one, one more thing I want to ask you about hmm. uh, we've talked I think we've talked about this before and god I hope I'm not getting mixed up with another person <laughs> But you had started a burger blog. No, it's Burger Meetup. Burger yes. Meetup. I'm sorry, it was a Burger um, Meetup. Again, one of those things, I'm really good at starting things and not so good at keeping them going. But uh, it's one of those projects I need to resurrect sometime. This is how I met Tony Edwards uh, from Mutual Mind. Um, is I got a wild hair that I was going to start the Dallas uh, DFW Burger Meetup. Um, and for about a year going, we met up every month at a different burger joint um, and sampled their wares. And I would call the burger joint ahead of time and let them know people were coming and, you know, what kind of burger can we put together and what can we do? At one point, we got a ride up in the Dallas Observer and we went to Meddlesome Moth and they made a custom burger for us and stuff like that. So um, I think there's still something there, but um, it's... Uh, uh, it's one of those projects that uh, actually connected me to a lot of people 
And maybe I need to resurrect that one again. On oh, still a year, you say you you start things and quit them, but a year's a pretty good run, I, yeah. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, but for pretty, okay. I don't know how many burger places there are in the area, but that's still a good good number. We we tried some really really good ones and some ones that weren't so good, but um, the when we did the third one, uh, we had thirty people show up, and I was totally stunned. I did not expect that at all, but it just kept sharing and sharing and sharing. Um, and there were people showing up that I didn't know. And that's when I knew like, oh, wow, this is something because I didn't invite you. <laughs> so. uh, awesome. Well, I think, I think that's it. That's all I got. I think that's it. Eric, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. The first uh, guest, might I add. So, you know. I, I think I get the special cred because I did the first digital, uh, first Little D Open Coffee Club. I was the first men, uh, like mediator on that or whatever that is. Um, and then getting to do this, it's a real honor. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being part of the Denton community. And uh, yeah, any we need like a closing jingle or something. You do. do. We have a closing jingle. Is that the beatboxing? The. I'll probably just stop it right there, and we'll just. Okay. Bye. That's good. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> uh, I we might have to uh, forego the uh, forego the monitoring on the uh, on this David's beatboxing over there. <laughs> Just I'm testing the limits of this pop filter right here. Awesome. I don't know how this is supposed to be where I'm. I can look at people and still talk into the mic directionally. It's just like. Hello everyone, I am tilting my head so I can see you right now.